Hey guys, this is the Everyday Grace podcast with Katie Price. I'm really excited that you're here today um, because my guest today is amazing and I'm really excited to share our conversation with you. Um, But before I do that, I just want to let you know kind of what, what we're doing right now, so what this series is all about. So this series is called You Can Sit With Us and... The idea behind it is that the church has a history as an institution of being less than welcoming to certain populations of people, Um, mostly people who find themselves in the margins. So think about who you think of as marginalized, um, and, and that's pretty much who we're talking about. So people of color, people in the LGBTQ community. Um, people who have wrestled with doubts and struggles in that in that vein, um, you know, the homeless, people who've had abortions, people who've been divorced, um, anyone who has felt like the church really wasn't a welcoming place for them or felt like their sins were worse or um, felt like they were worse than other people. So that's kind of what we are Uh, talking about in this series. So I'm really excited to share with you my guest for today. So Derek Webb is a recording artist and he um, was formerly with a group called Cademan's Call, which was really active in the 90s. So um, if you listen to him back then or if you recognize that uh, group name, you probably know he's kind of a big deal. (laughs) At least he's a big deal to me. Um, he's been a huge hero in the faith to me and also musically as well. Um, cause I, you know, I write and play guitar and, um, and sing and, and I've just loved his music for so many years. So I kind of fangirled a little bit when, when he agreed to come on the show. So, um, he's written something like 11 albums, I think, um, 11 or 12 albums solo, uh, after Cademan's call. So he broke off from them and went on his own, um, just, kind of switched gears and and started his own thing a solo career and he's been doing that ever since and something that I really like about Derek's albums is um it's after a certain point it's like you'll listen to an album and then the next one will come out and it'll be genre wise just totally different from the last one um so he's got you know his old school stuff is kind of bluegrass and folky and then then you kind of have some uh, still in kind of the acoustic vein, but then it gets more like contemporary and then it goes to um, kind of electronic and funky and then you get uh, kind of back to acoustic and then it goes kind of postmodern and it's just cool like to see all the stuff that he does. But um, but yeah, so I'm really excited for you to chat with him. And so this is the reason why I wanted to talk with him though was because um, in addition to all his amazing music, he has gone through um, a period of deconstruction of his faith in the past, uh, several years. And his latest album, Fingers Crossed, is about that process and about, um, he calls it a tale of two divorces. So, um, you know, you have, he was divorced from his wife as well. And then the other divorce is divorcing from his spiritual life or divorcing from God. So, um, the record kind of deals with both of those things. And it's really interesting to hear him talk about that and how, how, you know, how each divorce affected the other and also, uh, how the church affected everything. Um, I just think, he's really full of interesting, interesting wisdom and ideas. And I think, um, 
the the great thing about Derek is that even when he's not full of wisdom, he is still honest, right? So it's like in his music or in anything that he says, um, you might not agree with him and that's fine. I might not agree with him on everything he says, but he's honest about it. And that's something I think we could all learn from. Um, he's very willing to just take us into whatever place that he's in. So if, you know, he's having a struggle in his faith, he's not going to pretend like everything's fine and, and go play some worship music for us and, and act like he's not struggling. He'll take us into, with his music, into those struggles and say, look, this is what I'm dealing with. Um, so I think that's really valuable in a musician and in somebody that is writing um, content because I think, you know, we need truth tellers um, in in art. We really do. And I think his voice is really important. Um, he's also probably, the. I mean, I'm biased because I'm a fan, but he's also probably one of the best lyricists of our generation, truly. So I'm really excited for you to hear um, my conversation with Derek. So without further ado, I will uh, pass you on over to that. All right. Well, hey, thanks so much for making time to chat. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is cool. I feel like thanks to you, I'm up on all the new technology now. Hey, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you want to just jump in? Let's yeah, just do sure, it. Sure. Okay, great. So um, I'm a big fan. So fair oh, warning. <laughs> well, I'll I'll uh, I'll take care of that. Uh, <laughs> well, we've met in person, and I'm still a we big have. fan. So that, that's true. That is an accomplishment. That you so. you know what, you're right. Maybe maybe we're gonna make it. Yeah, I'm hanging in there. So <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. So you uh, have been a recording artist for how many years? For more than I'd like to say, um, <laughs> considering I just passed a birthday, I'm getting less comfortable saying how long. I, 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 like, I started writing songs and playing music as my job when I was probably 20 years old. So that's been almost 25 years, you know? Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. More than 20 years. And a Christian recording artist for most of that time. Or y- do yes. you like that label or no. is that already? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you and I probably share a shorthand, and so I I won't derail our whole conversation clarifying. But like, I think categories. This tends to be helpful. Um, I've said it before, but the word the word Christian, when applied to anything other than a human being, is a marketing term. Mm. It, which is not to say that it's not that it's bad. It's not to say that it's not helpful. It certainly is. Marketing terms are very helpful in the way that they help people find their way in culture to the things that they wish to consume. That's not a problem. But it becomes a problem when people, especially the people who are rubber stamping their goods and services with the term Christian, use it as a way to uh, sell security and sell rightness, truth, goodness, and beauty to people Mm. um, as opposed to other things that don't have the rubber stamp of Christian on them. So in other words, like the idea that there is Christian music implies that there's other music that is not Christian music. Therefore, whatever you identify the Christian music with, right, it's like, and, and I think the idea is, it's like, this is the music that's right, true, good, and beautiful. This is the this is the music that is, um, or like, for instance, a Christian uh, retail store, which a lot of, you know, so the, I think the idea is 
come to our store, come, just come in here and consume at will and just leave your powers of discernment at the door because everything inside of these walls has been pre-vetted for your spiritual benefit. So you can just come in because everything here is Christian. So you can just send your children in, everybody come in and just consume everything you want because it's all Christian. But that's so not true. It's, it's like, because Christian people are just as likely to lie to you as anybody else. And I'm not even saying intentionally. It just happens. I mean, I can't tell you how many Christian songs, I'm using my finger quotes now, um, that I have heard that completely misrepresent the character of God, the condition of man, as I understand those things from the Bible. Uh, and they're just not true. And, and I also just know that there is, it, it goes to the point of ridiculous when a lot of those Christian stores and whatever, you know, carry Christian you know, breath mints and Christian, because, because here's the bottom line. Here's why it's confusing. Most of the time when people use the word Christian about people, which I think is, is really the only appropriate way you can use that adjective. They're talking about people who are redeemed or saved or the people who are going to be in heaven versus all the other people who apparently aren't. Uh, That that's like the, the saved people. That's kind of the idea when people use the word Christian and the thing is you can't use that term that way about anything else because you can't say that here's all the, the Christian music. So just like Christian people, this, this, that implies the, this is the only music apparently that will be listened to in heaven and it's going to make it in. And then these particular mints are the only mints that are going to be in heaven. And this particular theme park, this Christian theme park, this, these will be the roller coasters we'll be riding in heaven. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. And it, and it actually just, it's, and it's just, patently untrue um so uh you know it gets really confusing because then people start to say well i only listen to christian music it's like do you think that means you only listen to music that uh it through which god as you believe him to exist speaks and where his truth resides uniquely or something is that what you think it is and or do you believe that as francis schaefer said all truth is god's truth that all everything true has its origin and source um, with God, and He does not wait for and look for things rubber stamped by people as Christian to use those things to uniquely speak through. I don't think that's true, and so, and it's especially hard when you're driving down the road and you see a billboard that says, for the local Christian radio station, that says safe for the whole family. It's like they're they're preying on your fears. They're selling security and safety. And it's just, it's, uh, it's kind of distasteful to me, you know, do you know what I mean? So I, I, I typically try to take a little issue with it because I think people are so cavalier with that term. And I think it's done a lot of damage and it's also repressed a lot of people. Like a lot of kids are raised, dropped off at a Christian bookstore and told that, you know, well, you can't listen to all of the not Christian bands, but you can go in there and find all the designer imposter bands and you can listen to those bands instead because they're Christian. It's like, there's fundamentally no difference between all those bands, you know, like Mm -hmm. uh, they're just bands full of people. And, uh, and, and it gets even further complicated when, you know, you consider the fact that like I live in Nashville, Tennessee, where a lot of the sausage is, is made in terms of Christian goods and services. And a lot of worship music, a lot of worship product, I'll call it, um, comes out of Nashville and a lot of it, a lot of big hits, big songs that are sung in a lot of big churches were written by 
friends of mine who are not even remotely Christian and do not identify that way, but they're great songwriters and they, and they speak the Christian language, just like there are songwriter friends I have who did not grow up on farms, but they professionally write country music. Uh, You don't have to be, um, you know, from the country to write, to understand the country music language and to write inside of it. And that's exactly what people do with Christian music too. It's most of it's not even made by Christian people. So it's like, you know, which goes even further to the definition of, well, then how do you know what is Christian? Or, oh, it's art made by Christians. Well, not necessarily, because a lot of it's not. It's just really catchy, and they're just really great songwriters who are writing. So the thing I'm demonstrating by, that, by this monologue that I'm doing right now is that categories like Christian are essentially, the reason I don't like them is because it feels to me like an, like an effort to give a short answer to a question for which there's no short answer. Mm. And, it, and I think m- words matter. And so I think it's worth taking, you know, five minutes to rant about because I'd like to see people thinking more critically about things in general, but especially when it comes to rubber stamping certain things as uniquely housing some kind of special truth. And, uh, and you know, and, and the last thing I'll say, you know, is I think Christians are hysterically cavalier with that term even about people because when you think about it the word christian anywhere you can find it like in the bible or whatever or even in the early first few centuries you know after you know jesus or whatever was never a self prescription it was always a public verdict Mm -hmm. like no one described themselves as christians ever like no one walked in and said, here we are, here's the Christians, here's our sign, Christians here. It was people who were following after whatever, you know, teachings of Jesus and, and whatnot. And people would see them and they would see their behavior and they would say, oh, look, there's Christians. I mean, like if you look at any of the early history that was being written around the first century, when when some of the Bible was was being written or some of the things the Bible talks about were that those things were occurring that they wrote about it much later. But when you look at it, there's never an instance where a group of people come in and self identify Mm -hmm. as Christians. And so it's kind of, man, it's like a term that people throw around in a lot of ways that I tend to be pretty uncomfortable with. And so I've never ever identified that way. And, and, uh, and I, and I know that some people would say, well, you're just being a typical artist. You're just trying to be, you know, you're just trying to give us all a hard time and trying to make a big deal out of nothing. And, and, uh, and I could see how someone could say that, but, you know, to me, considering that it's the work that I do, you know, the, the words matter. And, uh, so anyway, so I, little did you know that was going to be your whole podcast yeah. <laughs> be talking about that. No, uh, amen. So we're having church right now. Cause that was a great sermon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I, I, you know, I think it's worth saying, you know, I mean, for people who haven't really thought about it. Yeah. And I'm sitting here just nodding along because Mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I really agree with everything that you said. I think you hit the nail on the head with just the commodification of faith and how that should bother us a lot. Yeah. And really we use it as like a method of convenience instead of questioning it and digging into it. That's right. Or, or, or a weapon. Um, you know, we weaponize it and, you know, again, we, a lot of people use it um as a means of uh it for the in the same way that that great marketing and advertising companies um use 
fear in advertising to sell products. It's like, yeah. that's why the four spiritual laws starts out with, you know, God's got all this great stuff, but you can't have it. And here's why this is what happened. So it's not, and, but we have a solution. It's like, well, but a minute ago, I didn't even know, know I had a problem. And now you're telling me, you know, you're trying to convince me that I do just so that you can sell me the solution. It's like saying, do you have bad breath? You know, can't get a date. <laughs> well, here's this new toothpaste. It's like, well, shit, a minute ago, I didn't even know I had bad breath. And now I'm stressed out that I can't get a date. So give me the toothpaste. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like yeah. that whole, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. I see a lot of that. I feel like. Yeah, no, that's really good. That's a really good observation. I feel like, you know, people listening, hopefully, my hope is that um, that will kind of cause us to think twice before we just use Christian as like a blanket term and like, oh, this is safe and this is not, or this is, you know, right. this, is, this is the, this music is the cure, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And like, what do we mean? It's more just like, what do we mean when we say these words? Yeah. Like, let's slow down and let's unpack the words and let's like, Mm-hmm. It's like the Amplified Bible. It's like I used to have one of those when I was a kid, and I I I loved that Bible because it was like, and if if no one's if and if you haven't ever seen one, or if if anyone's listening and hasn't ever seen one, they're fascinating because they're they're super dense. They basically go through and every almost every word. They're almost impossible to read, but every word in parentheses and brackets it it puts based on the Greek or the Hebrew. It puts like a ton of words and phrases that are colors and tones of that particular word in the original language and gives you, so like you read like a, a typical verse that you've read a million times and you read it in an amplified Bible. And there's all this additional description of each individual word in line. And it's like, it gives you all this additional information. It really makes you realize that what you thought, that phrase meant it really doesn't when you yeah. when you hear all the inflection of the original terms because English is just such a poor vehicle for communicating anything because mm-hmm. we have so few words to communicate so many things whereas a lot of the ancient languages weren't like that they would have 50 words for for, for something we have one word for so you know yeah I think it's I think it's worth it yeah it is it definitely is um, so to kind of touch gears <laughs> so, a little bit. <laughs> so, so yes. So I spent, so I spent the early part of my career, uh, in what we will now call Christian music. Um, cool. All right. Yeah. I was in a band for like 10 years and we got signed to a label that, that was like, a an, an imprint of Warner brothers that was like the Christian music wing of that or whatever, and had some success at that. And that band was called Caden's Call. And then I guess about maybe 13 years ago or so early 2000s I left and started making my own solo music which I still do and so and uh, so I've always made my living playing music yeah that's kind of when I started listening to you is when you went out on your own so yeah um or I think maybe right before that I've been a fan for I've been listening for maybe 15 years um so since since high school for me (laughs) yeah it's crazy so um but I think and I said to you at your show a couple weeks ago that um you've been the soundtrack of my faith really since that time and I think you've been that for a lot of people that's what I hear kind of from people who um who also listen to you and then Mm. you kind of shook everyone up with your latest album fingers crossed right which is about, you know, you, you call it a record about two divorces. Um, yeah. But I have to tell you that, you know, that record is just as resonant and important to me as any of your older ones that have been on repeat for me for years, honestly. Oh, man. 
Yeah, uh, I, I really mean, appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I mean, we, you know, you and I, it's so funny because probably people tell you this all the time, but I feel like we know each other. And so, you know, through your music and we've disagreed on things over the years, right? So like mm. the Calvinist aspects of some of your lyrics really weren't something I could get behind, but you've always been honest. And I think that that's really important. And um, that's why I think that your work is so important because again, if we're talking about quote unquote Christian music, I feel like um, not to judge all of it unfairly, but I feel like a lot of it hangs out in the shallows and your lyrics have always gone into the deep water, even if it's uncomfortable. Man, Um, I really appreciate it. Well, that, that means that says to me more about you than it says about me. That mean, that means that you must be on the lookout for that because that's how you think and process and those things matter to you. And so that's why we've managed to find each other and, and the stuff's resonated. So I really appreciate that. It does. And I just, I think your work's important because one of the things that you have done is along the entire spiritual journey that you've gone on, you've taken your music with you. And so I'm really glad you've brought your whole evolution and deconstruction into your songs and not tried to like hide from it or hide it from us. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I've figured out about my, cause I've been writing songs for a long time and, and what I've figured out at this point is you don't get to be the artist you want to be like mm. you never do you like the, the one that you aspire to be or the one that you dream of being, that's not who you get to be. You, you, you unfortunately wind up with what you have, like you kind of have what you come in with. And, uh, and so for me, I've just gotten very comfortable with the idea that with not being super precious about it and just kind mm-hmm. of saying, you know what, like, like I'm just thinking back to some years ago, like I didn't anticipate that that particular year was going to be the year where, you know, I, where certain issues or certain uh, relationships became so significant to me or, or rose up to my attention so clearly. And, and uh, which was a thing that's kind of, which is the thing that's generally out of your control. Like what the things that matter to you and the things that get you riled up or the things that get you excited. Like it's, it's kind of like a, a hammer hitting your knee. You can't help but kick at it. And so I, when, when I start to do that, I just start to brace myself for, well, this is probably what I'm going to write about next year because I can't help it. Like this, the, these are the things, whatever matters to me. Um, I'm not the kind of writer who can assert any kind of control beyond that onto the process. Like, so all I can do is kind of observe where I am, what I'm feeling, what, what I'm going through, and then just brace myself that that's what I'm about to make art about. And, um, and there's nothing I can do about it. So I don't get to make records about all the stuff I wish I could and the sound the way I'd like them to. I, I kind of have to follow, I was about to say, follow my heart. I I mean, that's, (laughs) that's, that's very not like me to say something like that, but, but that's kind of how it feels. You know, it's like, that that's all you can do. And I think a lot of people, I, th- I feel like I have a lot of artist friends who kind of fight against that a little bit and they try to kind of fight their way to what, who they want to be and what they want to be doing um, regardless of those natural instincts. And, and sometimes they're able to do it. And sometimes it mostly, you know, what they wind up making sounds like the fight they had. It doesn't found, it, it doesn't to me sound like, you know, like uh, somebody just pulling their ribs apart and artistically spilling their guts. Like it, it's, because that's hard enough to do when you're cooperating, but when you're fighting it and saying, no, I don't want to make a record about that. I'm not, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to, I want to be this guy and I want to sound like this. and I want to talk about this. 
I don't know. I just think it makes for better art to go ahead and it's like childbirth. Like I say it as though I've birthed children. <laughs> I, I've, I've witnessed my children being born, but, um, mm -hmm. but it's like the, 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 it's counterintuitive. Like what you want to do is resist, but in order for it to really work the way it's designed to, you have to relax and go with it and you have to kind of let it happen. And it's the opposite of what you, what you think you should be doing. It's the opposite of, you know, and, and yet it's what your body knows to do. And so I, I think I've kind of given into that and therefore, yeah, you know, I, you, you wind up making records about, you know, <clears throat> all kinds of, all kinds of stuff. And so, um, and that's, yeah, I think that's how I've got, I think that's how I got here. Okay. You know? So we got some childbirth, Derek Webb. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> if little, anyone needed some little, tips. Little, yeah, sure. I, I could keep going. I, I, uh, <laughs> One of my kids was born at home. I, I you know, I, I, I know oh, wow. I've got, I, I have knowledge. I have no experience, but I have knowledge. Nice. Okay. So um, can I ask you some personal questions? Mm -hmm. <laughs> We've talked a lot about your work. Um, I want to get into the personal because, so this series is kind of about people who have had um, encounters with the church where the church has been less than welcoming. And I think we saw sure. some of that in your story very publicly a couple of years ago. Sure. So I, I would just love for you to tell us as much as you're comfortable with about kind of your faith evolution and how things have changed for you and evolved over the years and um, yeah. all that. Yeah. So my personal experience with the church, and when I say that, I'm, what I mean is like the, the local church, like here in Nashville, the, the place that I was, um, the, the church that I was attending when, um, for instance, like when I was going through my divorce, which is, which is a big, which was, a, you know, a lot of the, the impetus for a lot of that and, and, and um, what complicated a lot of things. And so, uh, so there's that story and there's that experience. And then there's, as you kind of said, the evolution of my faith or whatever. And that's a set, that's another thing. Um, because, you know, I think it was Dave Bazan, who's a, who's a pal, um, and says most things more eloquently than I do, uh, that, you know, Christians practicing Christianity poorly is not a good reason to not be one. Mm. Um, and I firmly believe that, um, cause I'm highly logical and, uh, too, too much so for my own good often. And, and I'm like, yeah, like, you know, Christians behaving badly doesn't disprove Christianity and it doesn't make Christianity bad or, you know, I mean, it, you know, just because Christians often don't do it in the ways that it prescribes that they should. Now that said, do I feel like there was some of that sort of behavior going on at that time for me personally? I do. Yeah. But do I also, even in saying that have to own the role that I played and the behavior and my own behavior that I feel like, you know, lit the fuse on creating the environment where it made it easy for people to behave that way. Yes. That said, I don't take responsibility for other people, nor can I. And, you know, some of those people have to take responsibility for themselves. And, and uh, unless we want to go all the way back to the garden, blaming everybody before us for the previous cause of whatever behavior that we're exhibiting at any time, like, you know, people have to take responsibility for, for, for how they act and what they do. And, um, and I certainly do for my part, but I guess I'm just saying it's complicated. Like I, 
Or I could also say, I don't make it easy. And I did not make it easy during that season. And yeah, it was hard and it was, it was hurtful. And, and I don't go to church. I mean, I, and I haven't for a long time. Um, but in terms of my kind of evolution of faith or spirituality, um, that's a different thing. And I feel like that that was already on some trajectory uh, before. And here's what I can say about that. Cause I think it's, it's too oversimplified often the story of person goes through crisis, person loses faith. Um, it's like, it feels lazy. It's kind of a story of someone who's just lazy and, and just decided to kind of have a, you know, a fuck it moment and just like, well, I'm just throwing it all out and I'm just going to like, who cares? And I'm just going to like go out in a blaze of glory and I'm just going to torch the whole thing. It just, it sounds like it's too someone, linear. Yeah, it is. It's very linear and it sounds very non-critical and it sounds very cavalier and reckless. And that's not mm-hmm. most of the stories I've heard of people who go through hard things and inadvertently wind up in some point of deconstruction in their faith. And here's how I see it. My having gone through my divorce and my inevitable kind of detachment from the church or, you know, I had a 97 and a half percent friend turnover during that time. So um, it was a lot and it was, and, and, you know, that's, it was understandable to some extent. So during that time, uh, I don't think that um, whatever hard personal things people go through or that I might've gone through caught for sure did not cause me to doubt uh, God's existence, to, deconstruct my way out of orthodox belief it, it, that none of that's what happens i think that there are a handful of ways that people come to deconstruction and i think one is just over a long period of time for no great reason people just it just doesn't ring true anymore and people just kind of reckon with it over time and just determine that they that it just it's just kind of the slow the slow burn. But I think what happens is on the other side, crises or trauma can also spark deconstruction, but it's not because of laziness. It's not because of recklessness. In my opinion, all that it really does is what crisis or trauma does is it just provides, because it doesn't always happen. A lot of people go through super hard things and come out really bolstered in their faith and really doubled and tripled down on it. Um, and maybe even really finding God uh, more so than they ever had before. It's like, you think of, you know, that's why the, the conversion rates in prisons are so high, you know, it's like, because people are really, you know, at their rock bottoms uh, sometime. And, and so, you know, they, and they find God and, and it means a lot to them and it pulls them through and, and, uh, and that's fine. And so, but so what it does, so that was all to say that it doesn't inevitably or necessarily cause people to deconstruct. I, I, I think what it does is it provides the opportunity um, for people to take an honest look at the boat that they're in. And, and what I kind of mean by that is like, or let me say it a different way. You, you can't be completely honest with yourself about the strength of the boat that you're in, so to speak, while you're in it. Like, Mm -hmm. because while you're in 
a boat, of, you are in every way incentivized to believe that it can hold you because you're in it. Your life depends on it. So of course you're going to irrationally tell yourself, I'm fine. It's, this is fine. It can, I'm, I'm, I'm safe. Like I, it can hold me. I, it's no problem. Like I, I'm, I'm going to be okay because you're in it. Like you don't have any choice, but to irrationally believe that, that it's equal to the waves and that it's strong and that it can hold you. And that, so the only way that you can really tell yourself the truth about the boat and really get a, an honest objective look at it is to not be in it for a second. And so that's like, so there's the two versions. It's like, so people either slowly over time, gently and peacefully just pull the boat over and step out for just a moment. And it's a, it's a, a move, it's a, it's a move of luxury. Like they, they're able to do it. They're, and uh, they don't have any major crises. They just kind of, let's just pull the boat over and let me just kind of get out and look at it and kind of maybe get out in the water and have a look at it. And man, look at this thing. It's like, and you learn some things about the boat you're in when you can be on the outside of it and look at it objectively. The other version crises is like when you hit a really big wave and you get thrown out of the boat. And while you're up in the air, thrown out of the boat, you have an opportunity. Now you can either go, you know, bananas and most people don't, ha you know, it's hard, but you can either just kind of scream the whole time and just hope you land back in the boat. Or while you're up there, you can look down and you can see it and you can look at it and you can take that opportunity to examine it. And I think that that's, that's the story. That's a story I've heard a lot. Like, Somebody hits a big wave, there's a big trauma, big crisis, big sadness, big surprise, and you don't have to, but they take the opportunity to examine the boat they're in, and, and sometimes they determine that boat can hold me, and I'm getting back in, and sometimes they see it, and they say, that doesn't even look like a boat. I don't know what that is. I can't imagine that that's what I've been floating on all this time, because it, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a plank with two nails in it. I, there's no way I can get back on it because it's not even a boat. And I can't believe I didn't see it because I was too close to it. I was in it. So I couldn't possibly have known. And I think that that's, um, that doesn't sound lazy to me. That sounds actually like someone doing the harder work of in the midst of really hard things, doing an additional really hard thing of, you know, using the opportunity to really have a look at where they are and what they've been putting their faith in and what they've been, resting in and floating in and staking their life on. And for me, when I was in my free fall uh, up in the air, I decided to take a hard look at that boat and it just decided it couldn't hold me. And it just, and, and, you know, and, and that honestly, I just didn't, it didn't it make any sense that maybe, um, maybe we're not meant to be in boats. <laughs> I'm getting really far into the analogy now, but Ooh. uh but that like I can swim on my own. I don't even know. I don't even understand the need for the boat like, is I think more where I landed with it. Like, I just don't really get why this is necessary. I don't really, I think it, it, it all sounds like conclusion bias, like circle reasoning. It sounds like I was, like we said earlier about the word Christian, it sounds like I've spent the majority of my early life being persuaded that I needed something or was lacking something only to have it sold back to me and dependent on it. When really, if I'd never heard that, if no one had ever put it in those terms to me, I don't know that I ever would have intuited or come to it on my own that I was lacking or needed anything. And 
I don't know that I would have naturally just come to that story of like, and I think you see that in anthropology and in human studies. And I, th- I mean, so for me, it, it, that, that's what it was. It's like the, the, all the crisis did was provide for me the opportunity to examine it. And I just, I found it unpersuasive uh, and decided not to get back in, you know? Yeah. I think too, that I've always believed that faith worth having can hold up to the questions. Sure. 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 That's right. You know, getting out of the boat doesn't necessarily mean you'll never get back in the boat. It it also means that's exactly right. Right. And it also means that like getting out of the boat and examining it might reveal other things and the boat might not be a boat might be something different. (laughs) Sure. Well, exactly what you said. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, I've, And I'm completely comfortable and willing to accept that, you know, I don't remember who, surely I didn't say it because I, because it it sounds too insightful for for it to have come from me. But I remember saying a few years ago, and I'm sure I got it from somebody like Tim Keller or somebody that, you know, some gods deserve atheists. And Mm -hmm. what I always meant, and I, now I said that way before I, I was uh, a person who no longer professed faith, but Um, What I always meant by that was, you know, sometimes you have to crucify um, or disbelieve one God in order to open up the space for a better or realer God to emerge. And Mm -hmm. um, because I think the version of Christianity, a lot of people, the, the, the God or Jesus, a lot of people believe or put their faith in is not the one that you hear talked about in the Bible. So Mm -hmm. it's, and can't really, again, like the boat, cannot bear the weight of their full affection, of their eternal salvation, of their forgiveness and whatever else. It can't. And so they don't even really realize that they are themselves, even in their supposed belief, managing their own sin and redemption. They're, they're managing it themselves because mm. they've found their way to and constructed kind of a Frankenstein version God in their image rather than. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, there you go. And so, but all that said, I'm also, I always want to make the point to say that I can tell you how the world looks to me how, using all the faculties that are the same ones everyone, Christians and non-Christians alike, use in order to discern if something is right, good, or true, believable. Uh, using all those same faculties, I can tell you why I don't believe anymore but i'm completely uncertain about it like i i don't claim certainty about it uh and so i'm completely open to the idea you know it's like the it's like whoever wrote the psalms if you'd stopped if you if you were reading the psalms and you stopped you know the around the first third or the middle third and that you said that's the end of it you'd think, wow, well, that, that, that guy's apostate, like that, that, you know, like th- there's <laughs> mm-hmm. no hope for that dude, but they keep going, don't they? And you don't, you don't mm-hmm. know at what act of the story you don't, that you're in at any given time. And, and I don't, so I don't know. And, um, and I would never, I certainly would never try to make a case to anybody that the way that I currently see it is the objective truth about it. Um, at this point, it's just a hypothesis. <laughs> and I kind of think that's how everyone should deal with issues of spirituality because I've gotten in trouble for saying this in the past, but I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to say it again, but because there really is kind of no evidence either way. There, there isn't really, there's no more evidence for atheism than there is evidence for Christianity. And when I say evidence, I mean like 
scientifically provable, like let, let's test it. Let's because then people say, but the Bible and okay, you're right, right. But that's like faith and faith and faith. That's that's there's that conclusion bias again, because, but what if I don't put any credence in the Bible or don't believe it has any truth or authority objectively, if you had to throw that out, then how would you prove it to me? Um, it, like, mm-hmm. like, let's like think Socrates. So, um, and so the thing is like, I'm not going to claim that I have special truth that I'm some kind of Gnostic atheist. Like I, cause I'm not, um, and I would love to be persuaded otherwise. And I am very open to that. Um, and I talk a lot to my Christian friends about it and I love talking about it. Actually, I'm not done thinking about this. I feel like I've just started thinking about it. Yeah. And something you said, so the boat metaphor reminds me a lot of, uh, something Brene Brown says, do you read any of her stuff? Mm. Some, um, yeah, absolutely. So she talks about the wilderness and about how, um, you know, it takes <laughs> to step away from, you know, kind of shed the easiness of the black and white and kind of step out into the wilderness where things are less certain and less, yeah. uh, you know, less cut and dried. But the thing about it is authenticity is out there. Truth is out there. I believe right. God is out there in the wilderness and, and sure. You know what? I mean, not to sound totally cheesy, but it's. I I also think you know. You said the boat metaphor, so I have to go back to you know Jesus and the waves, sure, and like yeah. literally asking Peter to get out of the boat. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there you go. It's great. It's, it's just kind of funny because the more that I, I don't know, the more I live my life, the longer I live, I I kind of have noticed my friends and, and feeling more. Um, more comfortable with people who are out in the wilderness. Does that make sense? Like of making more friends out there. Of course it does. Yeah. So I think, I think, I don't know, like as Christians, I, you know, that's where I'm coming from. I feel like maybe we are too afraid often to right. even, even go there because there's been this narrative of, you know, of, there's a very literal threat, right? right to stepping right. out there. If, if you believe certain interpretations of the Bible. Right. And so, you know, your friends and family start to get worried. They're like, what, do you, what do you mean that you, what, you don't, you're I, questioning this? Right. And I think for a lot of people, it feels probably very much like a slippery slope because mm-hmm. it's like, if I start to spend too much time with people who disbelieve and who um, start to want to talk to me about, you know, Hitchens and and Harris and, you know, and Dawkins and like, you know, like then what if I'm persuaded and what if I too kind of fall off the wagon, so to speak, and suddenly find myself disbelieving. It's like, like you said earlier, and it was always my kind of mantra as well when it came to my pursuing at that time of people who um, didn't believe the way that I did for many years was like, but doesn't God say, you know, like that he's greater than our doubts and he's greater than our fears and he's greater than our, if he's, if we're really talking about the God who made all things and is even remotely similar to, you know, uh, the, the God that we find in the, in the Bible that the Bible talks about, then I don't think that I'm probably here in 2018 going to invent either some line <laughs> of logic or yeah. some here for to un seen sin or doubt that is going to pluck me from Jesus hand, you know, um, that's going to somehow add an asterisk to the end of Romans eight, where it talks about the litany of things that cannot separate me from God's love. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think I can invent something. And so in other words, like the only danger is in not 
being honest with yourself if you have questions and if you there are things about it that don't ring true to you or that you're confused or that, that don't resonate or ring true. Like the only danger is in suppressing that and putting a little poison in the soil um, because it's something you're not willing to deal with because you're, you're, you're living in fear of it. I mean, I, what I do know is that I, I, or I, I believe it's, it's the most, the most often quoted command in the Bible is do not be afraid. Mm. And so it's like, you shouldn't, be afraid to doubt and you shouldn't be afraid to you, you, those things shouldn't go unexamined because what's going to happen is either you're going to deal with it and you're going to get into it and you're going to, and you're going to find that there's nothing to those doubts. Um, they're going to dissipate or you're going to actively be persuaded that there's no reason for those doubts because you're going to be given good reason to believe otherwise or you're going to find that maybe your doubts were justified and maybe you really need to rethink part or all uh, mm -hmm. of, of it. But either way, you're moving closer to the truth. Like you're moving right. closer to what's real. And mm -hmm. so in other words, there's no such thing as bad information. There's inconvenient information. There's, hard, sad information. There's disruptive information, but there's not good or bad information. It's just information. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I think the, again, the greater danger is suppressing living in fear of doubts or questions or not wanting to be in relationship, as you said, with people who are complicated in terms of how they believe or how we might disagree. Um, I think the danger is in not uh, doing it at all. That's, that's the danger because either God's there and he can handle it or he's not there one way or the other. What don't you want to find out? Yeah. Uh, isn't it important enough to find out? And I think it is. Yeah. yeah. And, and here's why I'm not worried like about you or about myself. Cause I've gone through questioning for sure, but here's why <laughs> I'm not worried because Jesus isn't in the boat either. <laughs> so I'm sure. just going to put that out there. I mean, really, because, <laughs> and I think you're absolutely right. Like I it's think great. that, you know, if God is who we think he is, and well, at least sure. who I think he is, then we are safe and it's right. okay. And he, you know, God is bigger than any question that we have and he can handle it. You know what I mean? It's like, what? Well, where did we get the idea that God can't handle our questions and our concerns and our doubts and our wonderings? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of, that's what I've felt. And, um, mm. and the, you know, the only way I can describe it now is that if the Bible's true and if God is there as he claims as the person he claims to be in it's in the Bible's pages, if that all winds up being true, then all of us are at ultimately at his mercy. And uh, I am and you are, um, and I am no more or no less so today as I was for the 30 years that I professed faith. Um, I am just the same like Lazarus waiting to be called out of my death and my grave. I'm waiting. And either he is there and he will call me out. And in response to that, just as Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, by grace through faith, I will rise and come forth to new life. Heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh and all those great analogies. That'll be true. It'll be true of me. Or I'll be in the grave next to Lazarus and I'll be the one who doesn't get called out. Mm -hmm. uh, and I will not hear my name and I will not come alive. And my heart of stone will remain and I will remain 
in that grave and that's, and there's nothing I can do about it or that'll all prove not to be true at all. And I won't have been dead in the first place. Uh, and, uh, those, those graves will have been constructs that we have made up and convinced ourselves up to sell ourselves a product of behavior modification and, you know, and things like that. And, but the point is in not any one of those scenarios, is there just a whole hell of a lot I can do about it? <laughs> like either God's there or he's not. And if he is, and he's who he claims to be and says that he is, then I'm at his mercy and I appeal to it. Um, but I can only like Lazarus stand and come forth when my name is called. Mm. And if it is, I will have no choice but to come out just like Lazarus. And if it's not, I will have no choice but to remain in my grave, just like the man in the grave next to his, um, or none of it will have wound up being true. And those are all possibilities. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And either way, it's like, I can't persuade myself of it or out of it. Um, my friends can't persuade me of it or out of it, which is yet another reason why you should have no fear in having friends who believe differently because they can't persuade your heart of flesh back to a heart of stone. It's like, that's not how salvation works in the way that the Bible talks about it. So it's not, it's not in their power to persuade you out of your salvation. You can't be persuaded one way or the other. It's only a work that can be done by someone who is not you or your friends. Um, it's only a work that can be done by the spirit. And if that spirit is real and is there, I believe it can be done and will be done or won't, but it won't, it won't be uh, ultimately it'll be out of your control, uh, which is exactly what the Bible says that it is. And so, you know, it's uh, so I'm comfortable with that, you know, and I, it's so funny, but I find myself almost quoting Martin Luther, like here I stand, I can do no other. So help me God like that. Mm. What, what else can I do but continue to pursue it, continue to stay open to it, to try and understand it, and to wait upon it? You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's all any of us can do. So. Yeah, I think that's a really honest approach to it. And I think it says a lot that you're willing to sit in the in-between. Um, sure. You know, you, you wrote a song on Fingers Crossed called Goodbye For Now, which to me is very telling. Um, the right. for now at the end is kind of this little glimmer, right, of hope in the right. it's my, kind of it's shipwreck. My, it's my, yeah, it's, it's my, no, it's my uncertainty. I mean, yeah. and the fact that the whole song, and it's the last song in the record, so the whole record really mm. ends on a 5-7 chord. It's the most unresolved chord in, in the scale. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it, it ends like with you kind of your head cocked to one side, waiting for it to resolve back to the one chord and it never does. You know, it's like, I'm very uncertain about it and I'm very open um, uh, and wishing to know what's true and wishing for a lot of things. But uh, all I can do is no more could I save myself than can I now. I, so, mm -hmm. so like everyone else, uh, you know, I wait, we wait. Yeah. So you talked about um, having a, like a 97% friend turnover during this process. Right. Um, so my question is, so when, when you were going through this sort of disintegration of your faith, um, which I'm sure wasn't a linear clean process at all, <laughs> did, right, did, you, right. did you tell people right away or did you kind of hold on to it? Did you anticipate this sort of backlash that happened in public and also with your in-person people right. or were you afraid of that reaction at all 
Um, I don't think that I had the emotional bandwidth or luxury to be afraid of it or to anticipate it because I was all of my resources were needed to just survive it at the time. Mm. So I don't think I probably had a lot of spare emotional resources to be bracing myself for like what was the, 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 um, the consequences of, uh, in terms of my friendships and things like that. I just, I don't even think I could have thought about that because they were, they were buried too far, or actually I should say they were elevated too far above immediate needs that I was having to deal with. And so I didn't really think about it. But I just feel like I've heard yeah. that that's one of the hardest parts is like not yeah. only losing your, when you're losing your faith or going through a deconstruction, you don't only lose God, you lose your people, your community. Oh, you lose you everything. Know? Yeah. 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 Especially if you've done it well, because your, your community and your, you know, everything is wrapped up in this one part of your life. And so if that one part leaves and those people all leave with it, then you're really left with nothing. Um, you're really in the, you're really in the wilderness at that point. And, um, and that's a very common, uh, a very common story. And it, it's really, it's really sad to me because the thing, and, and the thing that bums me out about it the most for my friends who have gone through it and, and who've gone through much harder versions of it than I did. Um, I mean, I, I obviously had a church community. I went to church. I wasn't, I didn't work there. I wasn't super involved, but, um, I have some friends who, were extremely involved and employed even. And it was, it was there, it was a lot more uh, at stake than it was for me. Um, but the thing that saddens me about it is that this, this idea of community, um, I'm using my air, my finger quotes again, community <laughs> and, and doing life together and that all that stuff that we aspire to, that Christians aspire to and talk about. It's like everything up to the moment of crisis is not community really it's dress rehearsal and mm. the moment that real shit hits real fans that's when community either starts or fails yeah so the bummer is that i've seen so many friends hit those points of crisis when now finally okay this is the moment this is you know this is this this one isn't a drill this is the real thing and I, now i need my i need community i need and i'm not and I'm, what i'm not saying is that it's easy that's what everybody talks about with community. It's not easy. And we're going to get in there and, you know, whatever, get our hands dirty, whatever all the metaphors about community are. It's hard. It's really hard. And it's a fight. And we're going to fight to be and stay together. It's really, really hard. And it feels like confrontation and intervention. And it, it feels like borderline throwing somebody in a trunk and kidnapping them sometimes. It's like to really do community, like, to really get some, go after and rescue somebody or whatever it is. That's when it gets hard. That's what we've been rehearsing for and training for. And that seems to be the, the point where it breaks down in almost 100% of the cases that I've heard of people yeah. who deconstruct faith and all of a sudden their faith community backs away. Like at the moment when community is, the, again, the thing that we've been rehearsing for and training for is finally needed desperately is when it disappears is when it uh and that really that really bums me out i mean i have a lot of friends who uh, have gone through it and um you know so yeah so it's hard. again do you feel like that's because we're afraid that it's going to rub off on us or that we don't know how to react or like, i think it's some think? i think it's some all that and I, yeah i think it's some all that and i to tell you the truth i think that it's it feels like 
most people just can't really be inconvenienced. Mm. You know, like we, again, we talk a lot about community and like doing life together and all these great things. Again, I'm not trying to make fun of it, but it bothers me. And so I can't help but be a little snide about it, but cause I've just seen it fail so many people. And which again, I'm not saying is a failure of the system of beliefs that those people are practicing. I mean, that's not what I'm saying by extension or anything. I've just, I've just seen a lot of people fail a lot of other people. Um, and I'm not saying that there wasn't a prerequisite failure on behalf of the complicated person who now needs the community. Of course <laughs> there was, and that's usually why it, why it's hard. But I think people just can't be inconvenienced. I think that they talk a lot about it. And as long as like, yeah, I'll show up for community all day long, as long as it's scheduled for six o'clock on a Wednesday. Oh, but, yeah. but, but the minute that it's like, Oh, I get like at two o'clock in the morning, I got to rally and go and take care of somebody or I got to, literally go and be berated by somebody who is living in total insanity and not seeing reality clearly and making very destructive choices that I have to basically risk going in there and getting kicked by them to try and wrangle them out of a web of lies that they've got themselves tangled into. Who's got the time for that? You know, it's like, I I just think a lot of people in civilized society can't are just unwilling often to do it. I think, I just think it's easier to detach and i and 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 i think unfortunately there is more than sufficient language in the bible for most people to lean on to justify like it's a pretty ugly thing i mean a lot a lot of people go to um very predictable parts of the bible about self-righteousness and about you know the the wicked man and the righteous man and you know and 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 that's where we started to get into kind of excommunication and like we're gonna we're gonna make you come back by abandoning and leaving you. And, and because, and, and I think that people, and I'm not saying that that's not a real thing or, or maybe there isn't a moment in which that could be effective. I'm not, I'm not advocating either way. I, I'm, what I'm saying is I think people have a very itchy trigger finger with that. And I think that at the point at which it becomes socially inconvenient for people to show up and really be and do community, I think that they, pull those cards right out of their sleeves and start laying them down and saying, Oh, well, I can't be associated with like this wickedness and this, 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 this wicked person. Um, Cause you know, and, and I think they pull a lot of scripture out to justify the choices they're making. Let's call it what it is. I mean, their behavior that they will have to own and take responsibility for and that they are choosing. And I'm not saying that people make it, easy but that's a lot of what i've seen that's that's mostly what i think it is i think people just can't be bothered yeah that's hard i think that's a hard and that's not just christians i i want to be really clear on this like i'm not trying to come down on christians i want to be fair about it like i've seen just as many of my friends in groups of people who are not believers of religion and who don't want to show up for each other like I'm, i'm i'm for sure not saying this is unique to christian communities it's just especially disappointing when the hallmark and the the mantra of the community seems to be that this is what we're made for and that when these things happen we're going to be there and this is part of what makes this community unique is that we're going to show up for each other and stay with each other because those other communities don't claim that and so i think that's why it makes when it when when you see it in christian communities that's why it's it's especially disappointing and and sad you know I think it's a human thing, you know, not a Christian thing, just like what you said. But I also think 
there is something about being, you know, being part of a group that says, Hey, we're different. You know, like we have, we have Christ, which makes us different, but then we're not different. Do you know what I mean? Like we don't, we don't walk that walk sometimes. Right. And it, and to me, it's like, I can't help, but say, well, then where is the power that you're talking about? And is it real? And does that now need to weigh into the veracity of your claims about it when you claim you have this unique power because of this thing you're tapped into. And then when it comes time, you don't seem to be tapped into anything and you don't seem to have any additional or special power that anyone else has. And you bail just like everybody else does. Like at what point does that need to weigh in as information about those people and ultimately those beliefs? I mean, I I don't do it. uh, I, I, I don't really consider it. Um, you know, back to the Bazan quote um, as evidence of much. But there's a point at which if it happens enough over a long enough period of time, you say, well, okay, well, what else are the special claims? Like what are, what else are the special abilities of this group um, because of this thing, this source that they're tapped into? And can we find demonstration of it anywhere? And if not, then should we start knocking some of those claims off a little bit in terms of saying, okay, well, but that's not that, that can't be evidence for you of anything because you talk about how all these things are possible, but none of those things actually ever occur. So is it wishful thinking? Is it, you know, what is it? And, um, and so I think it, it's just, it's a bummer because it's disheartening. And I think for some people, it does appear to be evidence that God's not there. It's like, yeah. no, your friends just aren't there. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, but in as far as that, yeah. But in as far as God says, you know, that the church as an institution is the unique expression of His body, of which Jesus is the head, um, bringing the kingdom to bear in the world, which is what the Bible says about it. It does at that on that level to me go back to those claims of the Bible to say like, well, if the, if if this diverse of these diverse members of this one body of whom Christ is the head um, are supposed to be the unique functioning uniquely in the world as those bringing the kingdom to bear um, in which all sad things will come untrue. um, Then, and this winds up being the behavior of this group. It kind of like, where is the group? If, if if that's not the group, because I also appreciate and understand that, you know, theologians have, also, have often talked about the, the visible and the invisible church. And I think that makes sense to me. Like there's the visible church, which is like, here's all the people who gather and say and claim. But then there's within those people, the invisible church, which are the, the remnant amongst those people that are truly believing and you know, that, are, that are the actual, you know, whatever, believers and the actual. And, and I get that. But it's like after a while, you're like, this, this, this diverse group of people who are ushering in the kingdom uniquely um, under the headship of Jesus, where are they? Because I'm not seeing them because the groups that are claiming to be them seem to be, you know, kind of fucking everything up and, Mm -hmm. and generally misrepresenting um, the reality set forth here and, and generally not, really pulling it off and 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 even members among them will complain about them and say like oh i know it's so hard and it's like yeah if you just look at the way christians act it's like it's so hard to 
but but that's not that's not me and that's not me and that's not my church and that's not me and my friends and we've got a version of it that we practice that's way different than that that does love you know gays and does you know take care of blah 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 and does all these great things but you know yeah sure as a group as an institution oh it's terrible and you know you look at it and it's you just can't even hardly identify with it. i don't even want to use the word anymore i'm like okay right 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 and i and i get that and that's fair but and it's hard to be an apologist for the institution of the church in america it's really hard but what about you know like so where is the group though is mm-hmm. is it you know where are these diverse members of this one body um who jesus is leading who are who are ushering the kingdom uh in like i it's it's hard it's hard to see when you look at the way the church over all of history has behaved um and i and i really mean going all the way back first century and and before because the church wasn't established at at pentecost it was established in the garden you know i mean the you know that and so you know where is it it's it and um and I, and I, but I've got my eyes open. I'm looking for it. And, and I see glimpses sometimes. And, but I feel like I see just as many glimpses in people who are not remotely believers and wholly unaware of God and his operating in the world who are, are bringing that kingdom to bear, so to speak, just as much as those who are doing it intentionally. I, I, I feel like I see just as many people doing, you know, uh, just as good and loving things. And I know a lot of Christians would say, well, but if their motivation isn't, if their, if their heart's not after the Lord, then it, it, that's not really what they're doing. It doesn't matter. And you know, that, that, (laughs) yeah, I, I I do too. Uh, but, um, yeah, so I don't feel like I even see it where the little flashes of it that I do see inside of the church, be it visible or invisible. I feel like I see it just as much and maybe more so elsewhere. Um, which just kind of basically becomes a big net break even. <laughs> yeah, we're a hot um, mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we, but we all are. That's what, we're, that's what I was trying to say yeah. before. Th- these are not problems unique to Christians. Right. Uh, these are people problems. Yeah, totally. So, and I think, too, that, like, the church is good at showing up for certain, like, safe crises, right? That we view sure, as, like... Sure, 6 o'clock oh, on a Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah, or not even that, but, like, if you think about, you know, somebody gets cancer, and for sure, we'll come pray around the bedside, you know, yes. we'll come... But if somebody is like, hey, I, I don't know if I believe in God anymore, we're like, whoa, well, wait a minute, you know, I don't, I don't know how right. to help you there. And, or um, suddenly it's like you, you kind of shift into agenda love from yeah. there forward with that person. We're like, Which oh, well, love? We, well, we can't be in a relationship and just hang out now. Now I will treat you as, for lack of a better term, an enemy combatant. Like I'm going to treat yeah. you as like someone to convert. So I'm going to shift into that deal. Uh, and, and we're not going to just be able to be friends now. I'm going to have to actually evangelize you until you come back around. Then we can be friends again. And I I agree with what you said, like agenda driven love is not love. It can't be. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. We've talked, we've kind of circled this question. What's one thing that you wish people in the church understood about going through a process of deconstruction or divorce? If you want to take it in that direction. Sure. Um, I think we've probably said it. It, 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 as far as we talked about, um, that it shouldn't be a thing. It's not a thing to fear mm. and not, not in yourself and not in your friends or your family. It's not a thing you should be afraid of because again, the only danger is in suppressing strong instincts or feelings that you have and not dealing with them and kind of stunting your spiritual growth in that way. That that's not good. Mm -hmm. 
but just deconstructing. I mean, because deconstruction often and really always leads to reconstruction. That's the cycle. It's the circle of life. That's, that's how things work. Um, right. And now reconstruction sometimes doesn't include God or Jesus. So it's like, it doesn't appear as reconstruction to some people, but, um, but, but deconstruction, in other words, sometimes the, and I've, and I've used this analogy before and it certainly breaks down, but it, it, it has been helpful for me to think about it is, you know, so sometimes like the only way that you can examine the roots of a plant is to pull it up out of the ground. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. Like you have to risk killing it to see if it's alive and if it's real. You have to. You have to be willing to take that risk. If you just sit by it, anxiety-ridden for your whole life, staring at it, wondering if it's alive or real, because you can't quite tell because there's no fruit hanging off it or, you know, it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't seem especially – it's not growing especially. It's just kind of there and it's not – you know, that's not – abundant life. That's no way to live. But so what you have to do is sometimes you have to pull something up out of the ground. And if the roots are there and they're real and it's alive, you can replant it. That's called, Mm -hmm. that's, that's the recon, that's the, the reed that comes after the deconstruction. Um, and it survives. Absolutely. Could even be stronger. Right. You Um, have to sometimes, sometimes you have to be willing Yeah. To, to risk killing something to examine its roots. And right. that's really what D and reconstruction is all about to me. And I have a lot of friends who have replant, who have examined it, found it satisfying and persuasive and put it right back in the ground and maybe even figured out not to like I do, but not to get into, you know, weird depths of analogies, but, you know, maybe, maybe discover that that wasn't a good place for that to be planted. Like they was mm-hmm. getting no sun. It was getting that, that was rocky soil. So when you do replant it, it, it's stronger. It's, it, it benefits from the whole exercise and process. And, but I think, you know, that sometimes, but sometimes you pull it up and you realize there's not a root on the bottom of that thing and it's not real and it's not alive. And, and you, you need to start, you need to plant new seeds or you need to whatever, whatever you have to do, but it's information you need to know. And, and, you know, you shouldn't be afraid to do it because again, if God is there and if God is real and if it's who he says that he is, you're, he is not going to put, he's not going to put a, but a self-destruct button on your, on your salvation, on your eternal life within your reach. That's just not what the, that's, that is not at all how salvation works in the way that the Bible talks about it. Like if the plant is there and you're able to pull it up to examine its roots, you're doing that is not, could not sabotage your eternal life. Like that's going to be, that was put there for you to go through that exercise and for your faith to be bolstered if that's how you believe it. And if that's what it does. Um, But it's uh, you shouldn't be afraid to do it. And I think that the danger is in uh, suppressing both distancing yourself from people who are going through it and also distancing yourself from your own, um, questions and doubts and because what that does is it, it stunts your growth and yeah. it's better to go ahead and reckon with it, move through it, but keep moving is the point. Don't stop moving. Like, um, and that's what I see a lot of people who either live in fear of their questions, their doubts, um, 
it's like they just, they wind up, the only choice they have is to stop moving. And that's why many Christians have less than abundant lives because many of them are tangled up in fear, um, have a lot of unresolved questions and things that they just don't ever really want to pull the, the, the thread on because they're afraid it'll unravel the whole thing. And you have to be willing for the thing to unravel to maybe find that the thing that unraveled it was a thing that you knitted. Um, yeah. And maybe there's a, again, some gods deserve atheists. Maybe you needed to pull that thread to reveal something truer, realer, better. Um, sometimes yeah. you reveal, sometimes it reveals there's nothing there. Maybe sometimes you, you realize that there's something that really couldn't hold the weight of your faith or affection that was never meant to. And it, and it's only by way of that risk that you find yourself to something that can. Um, so yeah. that, that's, that'd be kind of my admonition is like, just don't be afraid for God's sake. Like, again, let's mm -hmm. go back to the Bible. Don't be afraid. Like, don't be afraid of your questions, of your doubts. Don't be afraid of a whole deconstructive process that takes you down a two and a half year rabbit hole and you come back and you're suddenly got this crazy story and it's like, whatever it is, you, you have to, keep moving and you yeah. can't live in fear of it that that's that's really what it is I think um so where I'm sitting right now in my living room I'm looking at a bunch of house plants that are in the window and it made me think of the other day uh when I replanted a bunch of my house plants because they literally yeah. got too big for their containers and I there think we're the same you know people yeah. sometimes we outgrow our containers and it doesn't mean that we're throwing the plant away you know it means that yeah. we're letting it grow and I but think sometimes that, you feel that pain and that yeah. you, you feel that moment of wrestling where you, you're, you, you need, you know, where that, that process needs to happen and it yeah. feels like a risk, but really it's the only means of survival, um, yeah. you know, and like you're saying, so I think that's mostly what it is. I just, I, I don't wish for my friends to be afraid, not of themselves, not of other people and to be present to it, to show up for it and to go through it and let's do it. Like, let's keep moving and let's see where it goes. Let's pull those threads and let's see what's underneath. I mean that because either God is there or he's mm -hmm. not, but one way or the other, it's worth, it's essential to find out. And I know? think that's good advice too, to consider. I mean, that's a good thing to think about for those of us who are, you know, the loved ones of people going through this as well, because sure you know, something that I've been talking with people about on this podcast is how can we do better as the church at welcoming people who have, you know, who, who are going through things. And so one of the, one of the things is, you know, to welcome people who have doubts and questions. I mean, I feel like sometimes we kind of turn a cold shoulder to that because we're afraid of it, but maybe the answer is again, do not be afraid. You know, it might not be right. our deconstructive, our deconstruction process, but we can also practice Right. Being brave in the face of other people's deconstruction right. process. Because we feel like it's dangerous or unhealthy or like, oh, you yeah. should, but you, but ultimately it's, it's not good. You shouldn't be doing that. Like you shouldn't be, you shouldn't follow that reasoning. You shouldn't follow those. It's like, no, you're actually discouraging someone's survival instinct and their, yeah. their, their evolutionary process. And they're coming onto a whole new level of understanding about something that makes them who they are. Like, don't, don't project and impose your fear on other people if they are going through it and don't yeah. try to dissuade them and persuade them out of it. Like that is also um, like own your fears and go deal with them, but don't project them onto other people. If, the, yeah. if that's your friends and your people, I think that's really important. 
And I think, too, you know, we're making a big mistake if we make authenticity dangerous in the church, <clears throat> you know? Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's, gonna, that's a huge problem. And I think that's we've done word, that yeah. in some places. And, you know, I'm hoping that this series will kind of help deconstruct that. <laughs> so Absolutely. Yeah, we um, have to. That's exactly right. Like, we have to be willing to deconstruct our deconstruction. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like, we have to be willing to, like, you can't, in other words, you can't be, you can't, uh, pick and choose um, your, your, your doubts. Like if you're going to doubt, if you're going to do it, you have to even doubt your doubts. Like you can't, you can't, it's tricky to suddenly go from, well, I believed this and the Bible and whatever. And I believed it, you know, blindly and completely. And I had total faith in it. Now, if you're not careful on while you're, if you're going through a, de- a process of deconstruction, you very quickly, just for your own sanity, you're like, okay, now these doubts are what I have my faith in and all my security right. and all of my, and now I, the one thing I will not doubt is my doubts. My doubts mm-hmm. are true and my doubts are real and my doubts. Are, no, they're not like, like that. Unfortunately, that sword cuts everything and it must. Um, and to really find out what's real and what's there and what's not something you've made. Um, right. Cause you can so easily construct something for yourself to believe once one thing is gone um, and it can't hold your weight or the weight of your affection or faith either. Mm. So why do you feel more comfortable now resting on your doubts when yeah. the whole reason you got here is because you didn't feel like you could rest on your faith? It's like, no, you, you have to keep going. You have to push through. Mm-hmm. Like, in other words, don't put your flag down in your doubts and now let that be your identity and that be your you know, the, uh, like, that's not good either. You have to keep moving. Like, you have to deconstruct the deconstruction. Like, yeah. you have to, until there's nothing left. Because when there's nothing left is when everything that you can manipulate, everything you have made, everything you could construct is gone. Like, you burn it all up. What's left? That's what's real. Mm-hmm. If yeah. God can be seen, that's where you'll see him. And I think our fear, we have, I think we have a fear that like the worst outcome has to be the true one. Right. <laughs> right. Like, yes, you know, that's right. why sometimes we might place a little bit more weight on our doubts than we should. I mean, I think we should right. listen to them, but you know what I mean? Like, um, <clears throat> and also I, I totally agree with that whole thing you said about like, keep deconstructing until there's nothing left because so for me, you know, I want to deconstruct everything that God hasn't built. Right. Like if I've built, that's, exactly construct, right. that's, 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 that's what I was trying to say. That's right. Like if I've built a construct within my, my beliefs and it's not of God, then why do I want to keep that standing? Do you know what I mean? Why wouldn't I want to burn that down? Yeah. Um, So yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. So um, you're working on a new record, right? And you, and you have your own podcast. So tell folks about a little bit about that and where they can find you and your stuff online. Um, so they can hear from you. Oh yeah. No, thanks. Sure. Yeah. So I'm pretty easy to find. I mean, I'm, if you go look in, for me in all the places you might, you'll, you'll find me just at Derek Webb. So it's D E R E K W E B B and, uh, and all those places and website and all that's just all Derek Webb. And, uh, I am working on a new record. So fingers crossed came out in like September 2017. So working on a new record now it's called targets and it's going to be a pretty rude rock and roll situation, uh, on the new record. It's going to be a, uh, yeah, I'm working on it right now, and um, I and my my 
hope is to have it out before the end of the year. So uh, we'll see how that goes. I'm definitely painting myself into a corner with that, but um, Love it. yeah, but uh, so working on a new record and, and uh, when it's, when it's done, uh, that's where you'll be able to find it. And I'm also still touring for the rest of the year. I'm still touring the new record. Um, I've got a bunch more shows still before the end of the year. And uh, I play the, you know, I play the whole record every night. Um, and so if, um, and a lot of the shows, most of the shows are house shows. And so they're very intimate and informal and, um, it's a pretty, uh, unusual way to see a show and, and, um, and I've, and so it, so folks can find all those dates and whatever, uh, any of those places as well. Yeah. Perfect. And if you're listening to this and you are thinking about going to one or hosting one, do it. I've been to one. It was yeah. great. It was so like, it was so funny because we were all sitting there before you came out to play and, um, we were all going, well, it's funny. Cause when, when we walked in, we were like, is this, is this the right place? Is this, are I know. <laughs> exactly. And then we're all sitting there kind of hanging out and chatting. And it's like, it, even though none of us had ever met before, it was like, we were instant friends because we had bonded over this thing. The, you know, the, the, somehow you guys all wound up in a room together. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Talk about diverse members of one body. It, yeah. It was really cool. And it was really, it was just, it was a good time. So um, I'm so glad. Man. Well, it was so great to meet you there. And I, and I can't tell yeah. you how much I, <clears throat> I appreciate you listening and sticking around Absolutely. for this long and, and, and wanting to chat. It's been a yeah. pleasure. Of course. Yeah. And we should talk again. Cause I feel like we could oh, talk we will. forever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we will. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being part of this and making time to chat and I appreciate it so much. And oh, absolutely. Back for the church. And so we can grow and thank you well, so much. I do. Yeah. Well, no, it's been a pleasure. I hope we talk again. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Derek. All right. Bye. Bye.